Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia as we venture into our sub-series, Talking TV Trivia. When there's a TV show that catches our attention, this podcast picks a season and explores each episode through trivia. I'm today's host, Nick, and with me is... Tom... KJ. And I'm Chris. Chris is still volunteering after three episodes to be a guest, and it seems like he may be staying on the entirety of this TV show season. He's still very happy that we're talking more Star Wars. For those joining us for the first time, we start off each episode with four trivia questions to determine who will earn today's trivia crown. Then we followed up with the theme discussion associated with the TV episode, in this case involving season one of Disney's The Mandalorian. KJ, tell us about today's TV episode. Today, we'll be discussing episode four of The Mandalorian, also known as Chapter 4, Sanctuary. This episode was directed by Bryce Dallas Howard and written by Jon Favreau. There will be spoilers for The Mandalorian up through Episode 4. Feel free to press pause until you are caught up. In Chapter 4 The Mandalorian, The Mandalorian visits the Seven Samurai and teaches a village to protect itself. Here we meet Cara Dune, who ended her Star Wars career early, and we get to see the child be a child. The Mandalorian learns he cannot leave this kid anywhere and is stuck with the child for at least the rest of the season. Let's jump into the rapid fire questions. Each question will be worth the same amount of points as the number of the question. So we're going one, two, three, four. It's time for question one. Since he's a generous tipper, what did the server at the saloon add to the Mandalorian's order? Locked in. Locked in. Locked in. KJ. Uh, it was bone broth for the kid because she was all excited. She just got that. And I thought it was like a flagon of something that sounded like whiskey. Tom? It's it I I thought the same thing. I thought it was like this beer sounding thing. Chris. Uh she was offering him a flagon of spotchka. Okay, I'm going to give the points to everyone because it was a beverage and not everyone knows spotchka, but spotchka is actually a beverage made from that krill, the thing they were farming in the village, that bluish drink. So if you ever see them drinking that bluish drink, it's actually made from that creature. From fermented shrimp. Yes. Tom, have you tried this uh, with your fish uh, expedition? uh... I I haven't (laughs) fermented shrimp and then... (laughs) ingested it I... neon electric yes. blue shrimp by the way oh yes. yeah there's a key part there i mean yeah. yeah maybe that that sounds like it would kill me but i you know maybe it's good for you i don't know it's time for question two what role did cara dune play in the rebellion oh locked in locked in locked in okay kj was she a shock trooper? <laughs> Tom. She was a, a raider at first, but then she her role switched to like kind of doing security details and things like that, things she didn't like, and that's why she left. Chris. She was a shock trooper, and then she started rounding up ex-imperials, and then she became like a bodyguard slash uh basically somebody taking dignitaries and protecting like security guards. 
all of you are going to get the points. We have a flawless episode so far. This oh. is very rare. Mm -hmm. Yes, she was a rebel shock trooper tracking down top-ranked Imperial officers. The other things are just gravy, what she did after that. But that's like kind of her big representation of her character and who she was. That's what she you know, enjoyed and related to. It's time for question three. What is the monster in the woods? Oh, locked in. Locked in? The monster in the woods? The monster <laughs> in the woods. Uh, locked in? <laughs> Was it the ATST? Was that the monster, the ATST? ATAT. Like like the phone company. ATST. The chicken walker. The points go to KJ and Chris. It was an ATST, not an ATAT, -AT, Tom. Oh no. Is that what's the is the ATAT -AT is the four-legged walker. Oh, okay. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> so going into the final question, it's still anyone's game. KJ and Chris are tied with six points. Tom, you have three. It's time for question four. The Mandalorian does something relevant in this episode that we've not yet seen in this show. What is it? You got to love that question. Locked in. Locked in. Whoa, KJ, with some enthusiasm. I'll lock in too. I'm, I'm, I'm just staying with KJ, you know. He takes off his helmet. What? <laughs> Tom? He eats. Okay. My answer is that he takes off his helmet to eat. <laughs> <laughs> I guess everyone's getting the four points. This is the first one where we got to go into bonus question territory. Ah, uh, stupid AT. By the way. AT&T. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> By the way, Tom. Mm -hmm. The bonus question is worth five points. Oh. Oh, it's not sudden death. Oh, I get to participate. This can be anybody's hey. game here. <laughs> it's time for a bonus question. The bonus question is really a bonus statement. So complete the statement. The child is referred to as this critter. Locked in. Uh-oh. Locked, locked in. Oh, I got worried there, Chris, for a second. I don't know. A locked in? KJ. Is it a wombat? <laughs> I'm going oh, wombat. Tom. <laughs> Tom. I'm gonna I'm gonna say little. It's a little critter. <laughs> Chris? A womp rat. It's a womp rat. So close, <laughs> KJ. Um, so yeah. close. <laughs> I, oh man! Yeah, they don't they don't knock out wombats in uh, <laughs> in what's what's the, the Beggars Canyon on Dadaway? Beggars Canyon on Dadaway. <laughs> Although this so this is said by the Mandalorian, so that makes us realize that the Mandalorian has likely visited Tatooine in his travels. Or womp rats are migrational. Well, maybe an African one. <laughs> <laughs> we do we do know that Lothcats are on a planet that's not Lafal, so perhaps other species of animals are everywhere else. 
but Lothcat was also in a establishment. So I thought that was more of a pet than a wild creature. So, but yes, you're right. It's possible that womp rats and wombats are in a different location. So confident. So I, I think based on Chris taking down the first four episodes, we may have to change up the format. So I think going forward, we're going to have Tom and KJ collectively compete against Chris. And this way I can really turn up the Star Wars content. So we'll see how that goes in the coming episodes. But back to this one, this was a little bit of a deviation from the theme of some of the other episodes we saw when it came to style and feel. And that's why I wanted to bring up the topic of samurai influences. Of course, KJ even alluded to the seven samurai in his wonderful plot summary. But we'll explore that a little bit more when we get back from these brief messages. Are you sick of vibroblades just not cutting it? Then it's time to upgrade your cutlery with kyber knives. It slices, it dices, it melts through blast shields. Our Force-sensitive consultants handpick only the finest crystals straight from the source at the Jedi Temple on Ilum to power these blades. With our patented, force-free technology, you'll get even cuts and a perfect sear every time. Best yet, there's a lifetime, no-sharpening guarantee. Pick yours up today at Tashi Station and any of your other fine retailers throughout the galaxy. Kyber knives. No need to force it. And we're back. How about those samurai influences in this episode as well as throughout Star Wars? I don't think it's a stretch to say that George Lucas was very heavily influenced by Kurosawa and other samurai, like other, other films of that nature. I mean, if you look at Darth Vader's helmet, it's a samurai helmet for sure with the big winged kind of like carapace around the outside of it. Uh, and I mean, it, he is this, this character, the Mandalorian is very much kind of like a, but a, a, a cut between like a Clint Eastwood Westerner, a Western character versus mixed in with a, with a classic samurai traveling from town to town, a lot, like using his skills for a different thing. And this episode specifically shows him using his skills along with Cara Dune's help to take down a, a mechanical object that they have no business being able to fight, honestly. So it's it kind of the seventh samurai thing that KJ brought up in the in the introduction was spot on. It's the, the hidden fortress was the Kurosawa film he like took directly from, right? Lucas did. Um, That's another one that comes up a lot in his themes. Yes, hidden. Yeah, fortress. yeah. Uh, this th plot th line I think was more Seven Samurai, but those mm -hmm. were both influences. Yeah, yeah, that, that's right. That's a good point. Yeah, this is the seven. They hire the seven. If we recall, it's they hire the seven samurai to protect them from the protective village from these kind of ravagers, right? That was okay. Yeah, I mean that the 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 tie there that I think is maybe a little more firm than that to westerns is that the samurai are a people with a history, a people with a nation, and a people with, with a kind of creedal language and a language of, uh, you know, of based in kind of pride and honor, et cetera. Um, there's a sort of anarchic, anarchic way in which Westerns work 
um, in which like you see civilization and lack of civilization. And the hero is someone who kind of dances between those things. The hero can be a wild man. It doesn't seem to be the case so much in samurai films, though I, I will also confess a bit of ignorance on this topic. Um, it seems like with, with the samurai is that the figure is drawing from the culture from which he came, which is also kind of like a superior culture in many cases to, um, you know, it's, it's a superior culture to either the culture that's watching the movie as it's positing itself or a culture that maybe the samurai has found himself in. And so you have this kind of like a, um, a glorification of, of a, a better nation, a better past. I don't know if that's exactly playing the kind of the nationalism aspect. I don't know if that's necessarily playing in this though. I mean, um, the Mandalorians have lost their their tribe or their their way, right? They just have the codes. The world itself seems to have evaporated. Cara Dune is very similar to him in that regard, though, too. She's lost her identity, and she's out there trying to figure out a better purpose. And here they are, and I, I was going to make a bad joke. Could we call this the two samurai? Because that's really what it is. <laughs> They're the ones there teaching them how to protect themselves from this creature. And really, it's the raiders. But what I will say, I just want to interject too. I thought that was a really cool portrayal of the ATST. It looked like it was a beast or a creature with the red beady eyes. And I think it also had paint on it. So it looked a little bit more uh, tribal, if you will, too. So that whole interaction there, I, I really enjoyed how they did have to figure out how to beat a superior enemy using their wits and strategy and she's she's it's interesting to have a an actual athlete in a role um instead of an actress i mean gina carino is a, a former mma fighter and an mma champion and she's built like an mma champion she's a she's a, a you know a, not heavy but she's a, a thicker person yes strong. and you can yeah and you compare and it's interesting to watch her move because if you compare it to like let's say scarlett johansson or scarlett johansson's body double in the the various avenger movies where she appears it's like this 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 thin 108 pound kind of bit of grace that you see but with carino she's just she's strong and even though she isn't the world's best actress honestly she there's a bit of a kind of a one note problem um you know, watching her move on stage is uh, on stage. Excuse me, watching her move on film is it's it's very interesting to see like a um, an actual athlete do that. There's there's far more efficiency in her motion than you would see in in kind of a an adventurous figure. The show sets the tone for her character pretty quickly too, because there's a specific scene where they get into a brawl, her and the Mandalorian, and his impervious flamethrower doesn't work with her because she actually sees it coming and blocks it. So that's the one where you can see that she is a strong competitor when it comes to fighting and all of that. So it's interesting to see right from the get-go that even though we've seen the Mandalorian dispatch 14 different stormtroopers in an encounter, she is cunning enough to understand what's coming and fight um, and actually best him or at least equal him because they end in a draw in that matter. So it's, it's, it's interesting to see her role and she looks the role too. It's not this fantasy thing as Tom just mentioned where someone who really probably wouldn't match to someone of greater strength is actually able to come toe to toe. Yeah, can I ask a question 
of the more Star Wars expert people. I, I just want to know. So the Mandalore breaks the, the code, right? By asking about the child and rescuing the child. He breaks the bounty hunter code, not the Mandalorian code. Okay. These are different codes. Oh, yes. He's, he broke, he actually broke the guild's code, the bounty hunter guild that had nothing to do with the Mandalorian code. Oh, so the Mandalorians don't. They protect him. They protect, remember the Mandalorians help him escape. Yeah. That, that's the what I was members. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's where I was confused. I was like, why are, why is the guild fighting him and also protecting him? But I guess the, the Mandalorians are not necessarily guild members. No, that's a profession. Bounty hunting is a complicated profession, Tom. Okay. And so he's a Mandalorian who is also to be joined, a bounty hunter. Who's joined a guild, and many Mandalorians haven't joined guilds. Correct. So there's like most Mandalorians just are guys with helmets. And and ladies. And okay. ladies. yeah, because Down the, underground uh, waiting for Pedro Pascal to come back so they can go above ground. Yeah. <laughs> One at a time, <laughs> which I don't yeah. think is literal. <laughs> I guess he, he seems to have the only toilet in the galaxy. So maybe that's <laughs> why we're waiting on him. <laughs> I told you the bath pass in the last episode. Yeah, yeah. I have to I have to admit that I like episodes like this because I don't know if we mentioned this before or if it was brought up in a conversation before the, the podcast started. But the idea that like a lot of times Star Wars, I think I think KJ might have said this, the Star Wars is better for him when you don't understand everything i think that episodes like this are great because they really give you more perspective about the characters it's like you watch a, a two two and a half hour star wars film and you have this this character who you're you're being told is the good guy but you don't know why you have this character over here that's that's the bad guy and you're being told he's a bad guy but you don't know why like you don't know what their their inner machinations or their inner workings are in the episodes like this and episodes like number three that we talked about last week you really get to start seeing like the character development and that's why i really like the idea that they turn star wars into a tv show that can supplement the the movies so give me give me like it's the old community TV show thing. Give me six seasons and a movie. Like give me give me character development and then give me the the the, the ultimate in the movie that you want. I, so I I really although I think some people might call this episode more of a filler and just to showcase the ATSD, I like it because it gives you more background into his thinking and and how he's dancing between being himself being moral to the child being a mandalorian being a bounty hunter you're seeing him balance this tightrope and the end is critical too because he thinks he's doing the right thing by leaving the child there only to have an assassin still find them there luckily cara dune took care of him before he the assassin took care of the child but he realized nowhere will be really safe if he's not watching over the child. So there is a lot of character development, just like you said, Chris, there through this episode. Yeah, I guess it is kind of cool. We get to spend some time with everybody, get to know them a little better. And and I agree, Nick. I, I really thought from here they were going to then, it became a TV show because now he knows he can't leave the kid. So every episode we can go to a different planet and have the adventures on that planet. And by the end, we wrap it up nicely and move on to the next one. So, yeah, this episode definitely establishes this plot as, a, as episodic. We shall see how it plays out in the weeks to come. Check out our website, TalkingPicturesTrivia.com, for more information about us and our episodes. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts as well as our YouTube channel. 
We are extremely grateful for any positive reviews as those help others like you find us. If you like what you hear, remember to like and subscribe to our show. Do you follow Bushido and why? Leave a comment on our YouTube channel and let's continue the conversation. Thanks for joining us today, Chris. Anytime. I can't wait to do the rest of the season with you guys. Yes, and we are definitely changing up the rules a bit. Uh, so you're going to have some steep competition with the duo of Talking Pictures trivia to compete against you. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> I don't know how successful I'll be, but I'll try my best. The Wombats versus the Wombrat. <laughs> <laughs> Additionally, you can find us on Twitter at Talking Studios. Where can we find the rest of you guys? I'm on Twitter at ThomasLayman15. And you can find me on Twitter at KJ1000. I can also be found on Twitter at The Nicknamed. Join us next time as we continue The Mandalorian with Chapter 5, The Gunslinger. Talk to you then. I'm waiting for KJ to say something so we can see what that big book is. I'm trying to get it close enough to the camera so you guys can just comment. Star oh. Wars Encyclopedia. <laughs> KJ is diving into the Star Wars Encyclopedia, which yeah. probably would have been helpful before we answered the question. Well, I'm looking up Womp Rat here and seeing if it's in here. The, um, How about uh, Wombat? You got a Wombat in there somewhere? No, there's no Womp species at all, actually. I'd like to share that it took a few minutes for KJ to set up this joke. <laughs> and it's failing. <laughs> <laughs> what's Actually, the joke so that, <laughs> I thought, if you guys were, if we said next week we're gonna you know team up together and then like oh KJ is actually starting to read the Star Wars oh, okay. <laughs> <You know. laughs> so they have Womp I thought you were looking it up <laughs> so they have Womp a derogatory term derived from Womp Rat it is often directed at the rat like ratnants on Tatooine and then a womp rat is a carnivorous creatures that live in the canyons of Tatooine. Mm -hmm. There you go.